Well, good morning, everybody. I have a little bit of a scratchy throat just coming out of having COVID. But my name is Charles Stone. If you're new, I'm the lead pastor. And we've been gone a few weeks and came, came back and ready to start <clears throat> ministering last week. But uh, we're not able to, but it's great to be here with you. And today is actually a pretty momentous day for me. Oh, my water, yeah, thank you. Today is the last time I will bring a full sermon as a lead pastor. So it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, okay, pretty big deal for me. If you are new, uh, this has been public for several months. The board is working with a consultant in the whole succession process, transition process. <clears throat> and they're doing a great, great job at that. So it's been public for a while. Next week I will share a bid, be my final Sunday on staff. Praise God, you were praying, many of you were praying. We sold our house within two weeks, like that was like crazy in this kind of, uh, kind of market. We're moving to Laurel, Mississippi. It's where Cheryl grew up. And if you watch the HGTV uh, network, there's a show called Hometown. That's where we're moving. We're not moving into a hometown house, but that is where we're moving. So that's going to happen at the end of April. And Tiffany, our daughter, Tiffany, you want to kind of wave your hand there? She'll be staying here. So I expect she'll have a lot of adopted aunts and uncles. Uh, so uh, I know she'll have a great experience here. Now, I'm not retiring from ministry, but I'm refocusing what I'll be doing. I'll be teaching, doing some seminary teaching, doing some writing and training, coaching, consulting. That's really what my focus will be. But today, last full message as lead pastor. What I want to do is I want to share with you 10 um, key learnings or values or insights that have profoundly impacted my life. So here's the big idea. I'm going to share 10 life lessons with you. That, has, that have profoundly impacted my life for really f for decades. Now, you may pick up on one or two of these. That you may say, you know, that resonates with me. And I think I need to begin thinking about maybe putting that into my life. So I hope that's what the end result will be. Not just me sharing like, okay, here are my values and the things that have impacted me. But that maybe you'll pick one or two and say, you know, Charles, I, I resonated with me. I think I'm going to begin to think about that one a little bit more. Now, I'm not sharing these in any order of priority, okay? It's not, first one is the most important, not anything like that. However, there's one that's not actually in this list, but supersedes the list. It's the one that supports all of these 10. It's the absolute foundation. It's the absolute number one thing. And I'm going to illustrate it with this image. What is this? String of pearls. Yeah, okay. So just imagine these 10 ideas I'll be sharing. Oh, by the way, um, let's see, so who uh, is Neil or Kev? You're here. Let Mario know that it'll be like five after 11. We're trying to work out where I'm in there last time, then be here after the service. So somebody go let Mario know it won't be 11.02, but 11.05. Somebody, t okay. Thank you, Corey. All right. So just imagine these things that I'll be sharing with you are like, you know, a little pearl of, of, of wisdom. What ties all these little pearls together. It's this. It's this string that goes all throughout this necklace. And what that is, is the personal work of Jesus. If there's one thing that you prioritize over everything else in your life, my challenge is make it Jesus Christ as the very 
top priority in your life. So that's the common thread to all of these. It's not on the list, but it really is the number one priority. Okay, are you ready? Number one, don't waste your sorrows. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it actually comes from a little paperback book I ran up, I read part of it several years ago. It's called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. And the subtitle is this, New Insights into God's Eternal Purpose for Each Christian in the Midst of Life's Greatest Adversities. Now, let's just face it. Let's be honest. Life can be very painful, can it? You can have these dreams and these goals and not meet them and relationships fall apart and your health falls apart and things just don't turn out and life is full of pain. Life is full of disappointment. Life is full of broken dreams. But we have a choice what we do with those. We can become better or bitter. We can come, become better by responding in Christ-like ways to those difficulties, trusting that God's at work, or we can become better at God are the person who brought on my pain. It's our choice. We can become bitter, bitter. We, it's it's, it's what, what we decide. The direction we go is what we decide. Unfortunately, too many people have picked this option. They become bitter. Become bitter at God. Become bitter at that person that didn't come through for them, that hurt them, that harmed them, whatever it is. And it's, it's important to understand that bitterness, folks, is not a, a, a private sin. When we become bitter, it doesn't just stay within us, but it fans out. In fact, the writer of Hebrews put it this way. He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to do what? Cause trouble and what else? Defile who? Many. Who is many? People. It's those you, you care about the most, those closest to you. Bitterness is a devastating sin. It, it penetrates our whole being. It penetrates our relationship. So what I'm saying is don't waste your sorrows. Allow the Holy Spirit to take that sorrow and allow God to redeem that. Become bitter. Better, not bitter. Number two, lesson two, live with integrity. Now, what do I mean by that? It's this idea of letting your private life match your public life. Where you're not two kinds of people. You're not a pretender around people when you're in public and you're somebody else in, in, in private. And I encourage you as part of your spiritual growth, find a verse or two that becomes your life verse. I've actually picked a verse relates to this as my life verse. And here's what it is. It says, a noble man makes noble plans and by noble deeds he stands. And there's a simple test. I want to encourage you to take this test. To know, kind of have an idea, okay, where do I stand on this whole integrity thing? Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Would I be willing, to what degree would I be willing to, to tell the person I love the most, or say my kids or my grandkids, this statement, watch my life and do as I do? That's your test. If you can tell that person you love the most, those kids, those grandkids, whoever that may be, Hey, you know what, just, just, if you want to know how to do life, just, just watch me. He's not being proud because the, the Apostle Paul, he said this. He said the very same thing. He says, follow my example as I follow what? The example of Christ. So live with integrity. Walk in such a way that you would be willing to say to your person, your best friend, the person you love the most, hey, you know what, just follow my life because I'm trying to follow Christ's life. So live with integrity. Here's number three. Be faithful in the small stuff. 
Now, let's just be honest. Life is pretty mundane, isn't it? Whether you believe it or not, a pastor's life is pretty, like, common and normal. Every day, you know, it's pretty much the kind of same things you do. Life is not full of a lot of excitement or life and death decisions, but you know what it is full of? A whole bunch of little tiny decisions. Every single day, we have to make small decisions. And if we respond to those small decisions with wisdom, guess what happens when the big decisions come? They're going to come easier. And you're more likely to land on the right decision because you made decisions all along the way. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. It's this principle here, being faithful in the small stuff. And whoever, and, and the flip side's true as well. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. One of my favorite devotional writers is Os Oswald Chambers. My, most for his highest is his primary book he's known for. And here's what he says. Just read this to yourself. Isn't that a great quote? He says, the test of our lives and our character is not what we do in the exceptional moments of life, which are kind of rare, but what we do in the ordinary things. So be faithful in the small stuff and those little decisions. Here's lesson four. Be a generous giver. And I, I'm going to share this with you. Uh, I'm not trying to boast or anything like that, but I just want you to know that when I wrote a message on giving and tithing and challenged you to do that, Cheryl and I have committed to that. Since we've been here, every time I got, get that check deposited into my account, uh, although I don't put something in the plate, it's all done automatically through my bank, we have joyfully tithed plus to West Park. And you know what we found out? You can't outgive God. <laughs> you really can't outgive God. He, you give, he blesses. You give, he blesses. In fact, Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, that's kind of a stingy person, will also reap sparingly. Stingy giving results in stingy living. And whoever sows the opposite here, generously will also reap generously. Each man, woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give. And this is a real key. When we give, it's got to be a heart thing. Not reluctantly or because you have to under compulsion for God does what? He loves that you're a forgiver. Now, that's actually a puzzling statement. Doesn't God love everybody? Yes, he loves everybody. So I'm not exactly sure what it's saying here, but I, I, I believe it's, it's something like this. There's this kind of special disposition in God's heart toward a person who freely and generously gives. Don't know what all that entails, but it's a good thing for sure. And let me say, God is blessing our church. I mean, you, we have baptisms. Four of the last five weeks, not that numbers are everything, four of the last five weeks, our attendance has exceeded 1,000. That has never happened in the life of West Park. That's in the middle of coming out of COVID. That's in the middle of a pastoral succession. You can't give any other credit except to what God is doing. And you know what it takes to do that? Your resources. So I hope you'll be a generous giver. Here's number five. Being known as a grace-filled person. Now, what is grace? 
The theological term for grace is God's unmerited love and favor toward us, sinners, because we've broken God's law, we're separated from God, God made a way, seen his son Jesus had died on the cross for us in the day and promises new life and forgiveness to all who place their faith in him. That's grace. But what does grace look like in day-to-day living? How do we kind of live out that? Well, you know how, how we do that toward each other? Is we treat others as they should be treated. It's God who wants to treat them, not how they deserve. That's what living out this grace-filled life is. And I want to suggest four simple practical ways to live out a grace-filled life. Say thank you a lot. Just say thank you a lot. I learned this from Cheryl, who saw it modeled in her mother, Miss Holyfield. Now, she's been with the Lord for some time, but I'll never forget one of the first times I'm out to visit. And like, I'm around the dinner table, you know, had a blessing, we ate and everything. And so I, I, I just took my plate in the kitchen, you know, to kind of help clean up. And Miss Holyfield said, Charles, thank you. She's very, very Southern. And I, I washed the dish off and put it in the dishwasher. She said, Charles, thank you. Oh, okay. And then I like rinsed my utensils off and put them in the dishwasher. She said, Charles, thank you. Must have been a hundred, Charles, thank you. I was thought like, Miss Holyfield, enough. But then I realized... She was modeling and had modeled for decades what a thankful life really is. Remember how she used to do that all the time? Just like constantly doing that. So I'm going to practice that right now. I want to thank you. Now, many of you I don't know. Many of you are new. You don't know me. But I want to thank you for being such a gracious church. This has been the most amazing, uh, amazing ministry experience ever. Cheryl shaking her head. I want to thank you for supporting me, supporting us through some tough times with Tiffany's health and other times. Thank you for following. Thank you for listening so well on Sunday mornings. Thank you for your support financially and your time. Thank you very much. I want to thank the board. Our board members are kind of sprinkled throughout, the former board members. Man, you guys have been such a great support to us. We know you've loved us and supported us and cared for us. Thank you. I want to thank the staff. Staff is sprinkled out here and sprinkled out through all the buildings serving. I tell you what, guys, you need to realize we have a wonderful staff. Taking several years to, to assemble this amazing staff. They're amazing. They go above and beyond. They're gracious. They work together. When we have a conflict, we work it out. So I just want to say thank you. And I really believe a graceful person exhibits that quality of saying thank you a lot. Here's a second one. Well, here's what Scripture says. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is what? It's God's will for us. All right, lesson five, practice two. Look for the good in people and tell them what you see. Use the power of your tongue to affirm others. Be, a, be like a cheerleader for others. Point out the good in them. I'm not talking about flattering or being disingenuous. Let me give an experience I had. This was several years ago. I, don't, I forget the, the exact context, but I had a good experience in some company. So I Googled and have found the 800 number, so I called up and yeah, 800, blah, 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 blah. And the person on the other end said, you know, this is so-and-so. I said, hi, my name is Charles Stone. Um, I would like to speak to someone in the compliment department. Silence. Very kind of reticently, sir, we don't have a compliment department. What do companies have? Complaint departments, that's right. And I went to explain like, hey, I just wanted to say I had great service and just thank you, thank you so much. Be that kind of person. Be a compliment department when you're around people. Find what they're doing well and tell them 
In fact, this is a great verse to memorize. It really reinforces it. It says this. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful, helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may what? Benefit those who listen. Guess what that word benefit is? It comes from grace. With our tongues, we have the ability to dispense a little bit of that experience of grace when we use them wisely. Here's practice three. Give others the benefit of the doubt. You know, I, I don't understand your motives. You don't understand my own motives. I don't understand my motives. Only God understands our motives. So we don't really understand and know what's going on inside people, understand their motives. Only God truly knows those motives. But what happens is sometimes in those relationships, we assume the worst. We immediately assume the worst about that person, don't we? That's kind of our natural tendency. But Peter says this. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Let me give you a little suggestion, a little acronym to help you remember to give others the benefit of the doubt instead of assuming a malicious intent. Here it is. API. Assume positive intent. It's a great little acronym just to remember when you're working with people, you have a relationship with people, maybe things aren't going so well. Instead of assuming negative, assume positive intent. Great little memory phrase. Okay, number four, don't gossip. Like, don't gossip. <laughs> That's really it. So those four are to be a graceful person, say thank you a lot, be this compliment machine, don't do it in a fake way. Look for the good in people and tell them what you see. Give others the benefit of the doubt, API, and then don't gossip. All right, here's the next one. Seek understanding before being understood. You know, as I looked over my life, I would avoid so much anxiety and rumination and worry if I really had sought to understand that person before getting my uh, opinion across, getting my words out. We do that often, don't we? We're in this kind of tense relationship with somebody and we're not really, they're talking but we're not really listening because we want to get out of what we want to say. We're too busy to, like, telling others what we want to think. But here's what James says. It's pretty convicting. James 1.19 says, My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to do what? Say it with me. Listen. Slow to what? Speak. And slow to what? Become angry. To seek understanding before being understood is really just zipping it. And listening for understanding. I'll tell you what, you'll avoid a lot of pain. And I really like this next one. Laugh a lot. Did you know that in the Bible... Words like joy and happiness uh, and laughter <clears throat> and related words shows up 275 times plus. It's an important attribute. Jesus modeled this. Look what was said about Jesus. <clears throat> the Son of Man came eating and drinking. In other words, he hung around with lost people and enjoyed being in their company. But the religious legalist says, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But it says, but wisdom is proved right by her actions. You see, Jesus never compromised his integrity. He never compromised his mor morality. He was perfect. But I believe Jesus, when he went to these parties, he was the life of the party. 
I think he could tell jokes, not dirty jokes, not off-color jokes, that put people into stitches. In fact, I have this picture, a little plaque on my wall. Isn't that great? You see, oftentimes when the picture we see of Jesus is kind of dour, sour face. Jesus was perfect. He experienced joy perfectly. And if you're a joyful person, guess what you're going to do? You're going to laugh. I'm not laughing at people or at their expense. I, I, I love to laugh. I love laughing at my own jokes. <laughs> Did you know that laughing is good for you? Did you know to form a frown, it takes 43 muscles and only 17 to smile? And I read this this morning. It was on the internet. <laughs> Did you know, this is from a study from the UK. You know, you know what dad joke is? It's corny jokes only dads laugh at and kids go like, oh. Telling dad jokes is good for your kids. That's what the survey said. So kids, get ready for some more dad jokes. Dads, put those dad jokes out there. Um, now, I want to just be real frank with you on this. I, just listen real carefully. As, if you've been around a while, most of you know I have a very highly honed sense of humor. It is so highly honed that it goes over most people's heads. And I understand, you know, I get my joke. I think it's funny, not everybody else does. As my son reminded me a while back, he said, Dad, you need to understand, when you tell a joke and people laugh at your joke, it's a courtesy laugh. <laughs> you know what a courtesy laugh is. When your friend tells you a joke that's not funny, but you don't want to hurt his feelings, and you go, <laughs> that's the courtesy laugh. Okay, now here's my point. And all, well, not really all seriousness. Listen, when the new guy comes, he may not be the total package. He may not have as a highly honed sense of humor as I do. His jokes may not be as funny as, as mine are. Give him a lot of courtesy laughs. Okay. <laughs> say, I will. I will charge. Raise your right hand and say, I will. Okay. I'm going to view it All right. So laugh a lot. Here's a good one here. Trust God's heart even when you don't see his hand. You know, this is life sometimes. Um, it seems like God's not around. When you're going through difficult times and you pray, you're like, God, why, why, you know, what, what's happening here? Why is this, why is this happening? And I, f I forget who described this. I think it was an old saint in the 18th or 19th century. It's called the material barrier. It's when you experience pain and, you, and, and, and you're trying to work through this and you're asking God to intervene. He doesn't seem to intervene. You reach this point where you feel like God's betraying you. And what happens is a lot of people reach that and they never go beyond. And as a result, they get to that point and their relationship with God <clears throat> is pretty weak because of that. However, those that go through the betrayal bear realize, oh, God was there all the time. He was there. So trust God's heart even when you don't see his hand. In fact, Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up, for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. Another quote from Oswald Look what he says. He says, we can all see God in exceptional things, but it requires the culture of spiritual discipline to see God in every detail. And I love this next phrase here. God's still at work even though we don't see him at work. So trust God's heart 
even when you don't see his hand. Here's lesson nine. Never quit learning. Just be inquisitive. Keep learning, reading, learn from this book. Never stop studying this book. Some of you know that I've been working on my PhD. I took a sabbatical last year to read a lot of it. I'm defending it this Thursday. You're probably thinking, you know, Charles is an old guy. Yeah, I am at 68. Why is he getting a PhD at that age? Because I love to learn. I like the intellectual challenge. Doesn't mean you have to get a PhD. I'm not saying this, but never quit learning. And then here's number 10. Finish well. You know, we all have finish lines, don't we? We all have transitions, times when we leave something. It might be a job, a, where you live, relationship, a church, a ministry. And leaving West Park is one of those finish lines for us. It's one of those transitions. And let me, uh, what, what I pray is that, I, that we will leave West Park well, and we will. Uh, every church we've been at, we've tried to leave well. Uh, and putting this message together, I recalled a story I'd used before. It was... Uh, it was in uh, July 26, 1981, the 10K Pepsi Challenge in Omaha, Nebraska. 1,200 runners had signed up to run this race. Uh, Bill Rogers, who was the, the premier middle distance runner at that time, was also in the race. But another Bill was in the race. His name was Bill Broadhurst. Bill Broadhurst was not like the other runners, though. When he was 10 years old, he had a brain aneurysm, which caused his left leg to almost be useless. And so when he walked, he had to drag his leg. But he was in that race. So they all lined up, they took off, and Bill Rogers won the race in less than 30 minutes. Well, they were about to pack up everything, you know, at the finish line, and then somebody says, hey, there's a final runner. This was six hours later. You know who that runner was? Bill Broadhurst. He had actually gotten lost on the way, and kids had laughed at him, but he finished, he crossed the finish line. It's interesting, but at the same time, uh, Bill Rogers was being interviewed by a newspaper, and Bill Rogers noticed what had happened. He was so moved that he walked over to Bill Broadhurst. He took off his award. He gave it to him because Bill Broadhurst had finished well and received the victor's crown. I hope that your drive in life is reflected in what the Apostle Paul wrote. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, this is just for the Apostle Paul, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I don't know about you, but I want to finish West Park well. I want to finish life well, because one day I want to stand before Jesus and hear him say these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't know who, remember who this person is, but she wrote a real great a little statement about a graceful exit. She says, there's a trick to the graceful exit. It begins with a vision to recognize when a job, a life stage, a relationship is over and let it go. It means leaving what's over without denying its validity or its past importance to our lives. It involves a sense of future, a belief that every exit line is an entry. And then she says that we're moving on rather than out. And that's the kind of the way I see it. And I want to say that you guys have left an indelible imprint on our lives. Tiffany's life, Cheryl's life, and, and my life. 
And I want to read to you a, uh, just a, a short article written by a physician. His, he was thinking about his past and the influences of the past on him. So just listen and I'll read this. The cool breeze blows through the open window of Corinth Church. The simple building nestled beside an unpaved road in the woods of northern Florida has no air conditioning except open windows shaded by ancient oaks. For most of the year, the church sits quietly, her receding history, her only companion. Corinth Church has occupied this plot of sandy soil for 100 years. Every spring, the Hudson family gathers on the grounds for a reunion. So tonight, the small one-room church is overflowing. Those who cannot find seats mill about outside, occasionally looking into the open windows as the gospel singing gets underway. The music begins to quiet my rush-tired heart. And I look about the packed room, noting the sparse interior constructed of unfinished yellow pine. Two of my great-grandfathers helped construct this building as the 20th century dawn. As I gaze about, Something strange catches my eye. In the dim light, an irregular pattern of dark and light shadows stands out on the boards of the ceiling. Feathery splotches seem to pepper the boards. My uncle sitting next to me notes my puzzled look. He whispers to me, those are fingerprints. The oils from the fingers of the original builders soaked into the bare pine wood. Over time, the oils discolored the bare lumber, leaving per perfect copies of thousands of fingerprints scattered all over the ceiling. I realized those fingerprints were left by the caring hands of the many volunteers, including my great-grandfathers who built this church. Then that's when I know I am Corinth Church. My soul at the ceiling of the church is patterned with myriad fingerprints. And many, in fact, many of these same fingerprints that are on the church ceiling are also on my soul. As I ponder this, I realize a profound truth. I am who I am because of all those who have touched me. The process of touching began in the womb as my mother nurtured me. It continued as my parents and other family members cared for me. Then friends, teachers, and others moved in and out of my life, all leaving their marks. As the poet Alfred Lloyd Tennyson said, I am part of all I have met. Each person I have encountered, each person who has touched me, has left some kind of imprint on my life. As I gaze at the ceiling, I remember another truth. I cannot repay the debt of love I owe. I cannot repay God for loving me into existence. I cannot repay him for redeeming me even when I forget him and rebel against his will. I cannot repay my mother for birthing me. I cannot repay my parents for the time and energy they spent on me when I was helpless and vulnerable. I cannot repay my teachers and mentors for teaching me truth. My medical knowledge and skills, I realize, are the gifts of many who gave of their career time and energy to teach me. I cannot repay my friends who have nurtured me and affirmed me and pushed me, who have always been there when I needed encouragement and affirmation. I certainly cannot go back and repay my great-grandparents whose bodies rest in the graveyard nearby for their sacrifice to this little church and to their posterity, including me. Then I realize another truth. Don't miss this. I cannot repay, but I can pass on to others what I've been given. God has placed me in a time with its own challenges and needs. I'm gifted with personality traits and skills and resources. They're a direct result of the fingers that have touched my life every day. I come face to face with individuals with whom I can share these assets and in so doing touch their souls 
in an affirming way. And he wraps it up here. The Apostle Paul illustrated our challenge to pass it on when he stated that the Father comforts us in all our troubles so that when we, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And he says, as I reach out to touch others, I am again touched myself. In fact, I cannot touch without being touched. It is one of God's gifts of grace that as we open ourselves up to each other and reach out in love, we continue to grow and find the ultimate reward for being. And then his last statement is this. I leave Corinth Church with a new resolve to leave my God-inspired fingerprints on the souls of each person I meet. That is the powerful summary of our experience these past nine and a half years. You have left your fingerprints on our souls. And guess what? We're taking those fingerprints, those, those, those impacts, how you've influenced us, and we're just going to touch others with, with what you have touched us with. And so my challenge to you is this. Do that same thing. See yourself as a... a a collection of influences by people God has brought into your life. Their fingerprints are on you, and you in turn can put your fingerprints on them. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that you give me, um, have given us to serve this great church. And Lord, I pray in the days ahead that you would just guide this, the staff, guide the board in this transition. It may be a, a wonderful time of seeing you at work. And Lord, we pray for whoever the new guy is, that you would even be working in his heart now. And may the church receive him as uh, the church has received us. We pray this in your name. Amen.